Welcome back to Spend, Donate, Invest. I know it's not just me. There are a lot of things that keep me up at night. Climate change, homelessness, the attack on women's rights. And what surprises me is that we usually talk about how we can vote or even how we can protest. But I'm curious about the power of our money. Every week, I read a listener letter, do some research, talk to experts. Sometimes I'll read an entire book to be able to provide some thoughts. If you ever want to send in your questions, please look for the email address in the show notes. I will never share your name. You have my word on that. Here's this week's letter. Watching the news lately has felt like watching The Handmaid's Tale. I have to admit, I wasn't paying attention to the gradual erosion of how secure I thought the right to abortion was in the U.S. It felt like I woke up one day and all of my group chats were talking about the leaked document from the Supreme Court. I had no idea there was a real threat to Roe versus Wade. I live in the DMV, so I was able to travel to the Supreme Court to protest. I vote in all elections, not just the presidential ones. But I want to put my money in, too. I wish I could buy enough Plan B to hand out in the streets or offer to pay for women's abortions. Something. Any thoughts on this? Should I donate to Planned Parenthood, or is there a way to give more locally? Thank you to the listener that submitted this letter. I suspect there are a lot of listeners wondering the same thing right now. And hi, neighbor. Um, Nice to hear from a listener in the D.C. area. You mentioned feeling bad about not having realized that our rights are um, quietly being challenged. This was intentional. We weren't supposed to notice what was going on. And in fact, the opponents of Roe v. Wade have been playing the long game, quietly, strategically. And it's not just abortion. Longtime leaders in the education sector that I know here in D.C. are talking about current threats to Brown versus the Board of Education. That was a landmark decision in the Supreme Court. Uh, I believe it was in the 1950s in which the court ruled that racial segregation in public schools is unconstitutional, even if the segregated schools are otherwise equal in terms of quality. And so it's wild to think that this could be a question in 2022. I would not have believed this was under threat unless I had heard it with my own ears. And at this point, I think we have to listen when the activists tell us that our hard-won rights are not to be taken for granted. I have been too comfortable too, or maybe just focused on the rights we have not had yet. You mentioned protesting. You mentioned that you vote in all elections, uh, which is amazing. Your question was, what can we do with our money? And so I have some thoughts on the long arc of the quiet, gradual, strategic chipping away of women's rights and how we can use our money to fight this. Another listener wrote in about creating more systemic change with our money. So I have been crafting some suggestions on that. It's taking me some more time as I talk to the experts and read and study and try to learn enough to be helpful. 
But in the meantime, we can certainly help with our money in the short term. There are women finding out about unwanted pregnancies every day. I know someone that works as a translator for patients and was telling me last weekend about a recent immigrant to the United States whose state banned abortions. And so a few days after the ban, she discovered that she needed an abortion. She scraped together the resources to be able to travel to a neighboring state to have the procedure done, uh, which is wild. And in her case, the termination was going to take more than one day. And can you believe that abortion was outlawed in that state, too, as she was undergoing the procedure? <sighs> her saving grace and the reason her doctor was able to complete the termination safely was because they had started it before the ban. Women are finding out about unsafe or unwanted pregnancies every day. You mentioned protesting and voting in all of the elections, but what about our money? I'm going to link a few articles uh, where they've compiled some places you can consider if you're looking to donate into reproductive freedom funds. If you want to give locally, uh, here in the DMV, there are some options. By the way, uh, if you're not located locally, DMV stands for D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. So um, hello to the D.C. listeners. The D.C. Abortion Fund is an option. It's known locally as DCAF, and it's dedicated to helping women pay for procedures in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, including women who travel here for this purpose. So my understanding is that 90% of the calls do come in from local areas, the DMV, um, but they also help women that travel for these procedures. While we're talking, um, I was seeing last year that they were looking for case managers as well, especially if you speak Spanish. If you speak Tigrinya, I want to encourage you to consider this as well. Our communities are always uh, looking for translators or Amharic. There are a lot of Amharic-speaking people in D.C., uh, in Maryland and Virginia as well. So the way it works is different procedures cost different amounts of money. So depending on what is approved for a particular patient, that amount of money is sent to the clinic and then the patient can go and get the medical care that is needed. Here in D.C., abortions can cost ranging from about $500 to $1,100, depending on how far along the patient is. Following the Supreme Court Roe v. Wade leak, the D.C. abortion fund set a goal of $200,000 for fundraising, and they gathered that amount very quickly. They have since increased their goal to $300,000. I haven't checked it today. They may have reached it, but it's going to feel great to fund this kind of medical care in the community. So I do want to uh, let you know that's an option. That being said, I also tend to think about the cities where there aren't as many deep pockets. D.C. is a city with incredibly wide income disparities. It's similar to New York City and the Bay Area in that way. I know I have listeners in both of those areas, so you know what I'm talking about. But I tend to worry about areas where there aren't as many deep pockets. I'm not sure if you've ever traveled to states like Mississippi. 91% uh, of women there are living in counties with no abortion providers. That's almost everyone. 
So you could donate, for example, to the Mississippi the Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund, and I'll include some links to them in the show notes. If you're on the mailing list for this show, I'll send them there as well in the monthly email. I can't end without also mentioning two more groups that I've been watching. Indigenous Women Rising helps pregnant Indigenous people in the U.S. and Canada who are seeking termination of pregnancy. If you know about the forced sterilization of Indigenous women in this country, it may baffle you to know that abortions were controlled too. Turns out it has always been about controlling brown and black bodies. I have been reading more about um, Indigenous history as it relates to health care and in the future may be doing a little bit of a book review there. But in the meantime, Indigenous Women Rising might be a group you want to donate to. And finally, I want to mention the AFIA Center. This is a Black women-founded and led group in North Texas. I believe they started with a focus on HIV-AIDS and have expanded to ensuring holistic reproductive justice for Black women. So this includes tackling issues like the much higher levels of maternal mortality rates for Black women. I'm going to include links to the groups I mentioned in D.C., Mississippi, the Indigenous Women Rising, and also the AFIA Center for Black Women and Girls. Lots of choices. One last thing, we've been throwing around this term reproductive justice a lot over the last few weeks and months when discussing what we're seeing. I'm going to link an interview, an incredible interview, with activist and professor Loretta J. Ross, who literally changed the global conversation on these topics. This entire concept of reproductive justice, the whole framework comes from her work with Black women. You'll read about that in the interview, and I'm going to leave you with some words from that fascinating and moving interview. She says that when she was 16 and went off to college, her mother warned her not to let success go to her head or failure to her heart. I'll repeat that. Not to let success go to her head or failure to her heart. So Professor Loretta Ross says, I don't let our setbacks go to my heart. I just keep working. That's what all activists need to do. We need to look at the ugliness of the world and we keep on working. So let's do that, listeners. Let's not let the setbacks go to our hearts. Let's keep working. Thanks for joining me for today's discussion. You can always send in your questions by emailing the address in the show notes. You might be wondering how you can support the show. There are a number of ways to do this. You can subscribe on whatever platform you prefer for your podcasts. You can share an episode with a friend. That's probably the biggest help you can provide right now. It turns out that's how people discover podcasts. It's not about me telling people about this show. It's actually you all, the listeners. You can click on the Buy Me a Coffee link. You can also write a review for the show or click around on your app and see if it lets you give this show five stars. Thanks for your support and let's talk again soon.